On today's football edition of Sports and the World, I'll give you my top college football teams ranked 25 to 21, Tyreek Hill and Ezekiel Elliott, my LFL report, and the top NFL teams ranked 32 to 29. That's today on Sports and the World. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us, whether it's through Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Anchor, thank you for making Sports and the World Football Edition a part of your day. I'm Ladarius Brown, and you heard that correctly, Sports and the World is hitting the gridiron every Tuesday, and every Tuesday throughout the football season, maybe beyond as well. Because I understand the importance of football. I love football. And it was very hard to put it into the regular show because I could go on for at least a solid hour on it. And I said, well, if I make it an own podcast, yeah, I can get a lot of information. I say it benefits me and it benefits you, the listener. So, and once again, it won't affect the Friday edition of Sports in the World, which will come out on Friday as well. So with that being said, let's dive on in. Now, one of the things that I really like about football is is that you have those predicting who's going to win this, who's going to be standout talent, and we're going to cover all of that. But I want to give you my edition, the college football edition, and you'll get the NFL edition on the back end of this episode. But I want to lead right on in with my college football top 25 teams and we're going to start with teams 25 through 21 so with that being said let's dive right on in with my number 25 team and that's Iowa State and let me tell you what I like about Iowa State I like Matt Campbell I like the job he came in there because historically speaking Iowa State has not been the greatest franchise in the world, especially for football. And all of a sudden, Matt Campbell comes in. Listen, he had down year last year, kind of. But I think they're only getting upward. I like their trajectory. And, you know, I have them going 75 or 84. And to me, their biggest games is on the back end of their schedule. They got to face... Oklahoma at Oklahoma in Norman. Then they got a face. They got Texas in Ames. That to me, and you can throw in Oklahoma State the week before they play Oklahoma. You know, two of those three games are at home, and if they could win even one of those games, it could really affect the outcome of the Big Twelve, especially if they can beat Texas or Oklahoma. That could affect the race there. Who wins the Big Twelve? And I really like their quarterback, Brock Purdy. He's throwing 66% completion, and he's the second leading rusher. And you know what else? He was the, he had five touchdowns. He had five touchdowns. And I think for a quarterback, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, in today's college football, but to me, that dual threat option because he's very accurate and he can run. That's Baker Mayfield-esque. I'm not saying this guy is the next Baker Mayfield, but he has those dual threat dynamics there. My only concern with Iowa State is the secondary. You know, a lot of youth there, and it's the Big 12, there's a lot of points that could be given up. 
But if Iowa State can find some way to sustain a lot of these power teams, and they're going to be in a lot of shootouts, I believe. And if that, if that secondary can make big plays in big moments, Iowa State can shock a few people. Number 24, I have Virginia. And Virginia could easily be a nine-win football team. And when I tell people that, people go, you know, it doesn't shock some people, but some it, it does. Because, like, oh, they should be ranked higher. And, and that part I get. But the reason why I have them here is, is that they could potentially be the second best team. Because I'm not entirely sold. Because, you know, Virginia Tech, Pitt, Miami, and Syracuse could easily be the second best team in this conference. And, but what the one thing that I do like about Virginia is they have a great defense. They got seven returning starters. Bryce Hall, probably one of the best corners, not just in the ACC, but in the country, is back there manning the secondary. And a major concern for me is, can Bryce Perkins be the guy? Basically, the question is, is Bryce right? Can he be right? You know, not make mistakes, be smart with the football. It's the ACC. You're going to face some very good defenses. But, you know, it's all about not making mistakes. And that, to me, I think the biggest test for Bryce Perkins will be when they head to Notre Dame. And I think they can make that a football game because their defense is very good. And Bronco Mendenhall, I think, can find a way to win that football game. And that's why I say if they can go in there and beat them, this is a nine-win football game. Number 23 on my list is UCF. And listen, I get a lot of flack because I'm a, full discretion, I'm a Florida Gators fan. Oh, well, you always not UCF because, you know, they did better than your Gators. And I'm like, no. Did you see how the Gators ended their season as opposed to UCF? No. That's about being salty or bitter. Is that when I told them the fact that, yeah, I can win 9, 10 games, which I have them projected to win this year, if I play in a conference who you're the best team in and who's second. And you probably do and you don't play the second best team in Memphis. Of course. Of course I'm gonna sit here and say you don't play anybody because you don't. It's facts. And I get a lot of flack for that. And I'm like, no. Because oh by the way, you wanna know who they play? People are like, oh, you get a lot of flack. Listen, they got FAMU to open the season. They got UConn, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Temple, Tulsa, Tulane. And you're going to come at me and say, none of those teams are really, they're in the bottom half. They're bottom half team. And people like, oh, well, go recruit. Listen, the Big 12, listen, you know, listen, I just mentioned Iowa State. Those teams that used to be doormat, they can recruit if you hire the right coaches. And quite frankly, that's not on me. And like, I'm not going to blame UCF, but they don't stay. Their out-of-conference schedule is bad. It's bad. And this year, it's better because at least you got Stanford. And, and, I, and to me, they may lose that game. Because my question to UCF is, since Mackenzie Milton is still going to be out, 
It's either Brandon Wimbush or Darnell, Darnell Mack. And I say go with Wimbush because he has more experience. That's a no-brainer. Like, don't be fooled by a couple of great plays by Mack. Unique consistency at that position. Go with Brandon Wimbush. That defense is still bad. They're 95th in the nation. And quite frankly, they're going to be the AAC championship or they'll be in the AAC championship game by default. It doesn't matter who they play. It's because their conference will have them. That because here's the thing. They could lose to, to USF. They could lose to Stanford. And they could still, and they could lose one of these one of these conference games and still be in. And I go, but that's the team everyone says I not. No. I speak in facts. And I'm not knocking Josh Heibel, but come on, folks. Let's be realistic. All right. Number 22, I have Missouri. Missouri, to me, is an 8-9 win football team because I like Kelly Bryant. This offense for Missouri is just strong. You know, Larry Roundtree, he had almost 1,300 yards from scrimmage last season. And I think, going back to Kelly Bryant, he could be better than Drew Locke. Remember Kelly Bryant, that guy who who lost a starting job to some guy named Trevor Lawrence at Clemson? So, you know, it's not like he lost his job to some scrub. It's just that he went to start somewhere. He went to Missouri. And listen, he has that offense. My only question and concern is develop a defense real soon. Because you're in the SEC. And listen, they're going to run the football. And you need a front seven that's strong enough to sustain it. And when I look at their schedule, and I go, well, is it possible? You know, I say, listen, they got to they gotta face Georgia, Florida, and that Tennessee game is not, oh, it's not winnable as it once was. Jeremy Pruitt's doing something there, and I, I hate to admit that as a Gator fan. And I said, you know, these teams can run the football on you, and they can make plays. So I have Missouri at 22. And to wrap up this episode with, in terms of this list, is 21, and that's Auburn. Listen, Auburn's schedule. They have the seventh toughest schedule in the country. Here's who they have to play. Their first game of the year, it's a neutral side game in Dallas versus Oregon. They got to go at UCF, at LSU, versus Georgia, versus Alabama. What I just read to you is that every single one of those teams, hint, hint, they're top 15 teams. And I'm not going to tell you where they're on the list, but they're going to be on the list in future episodes. So essentially, I just read to you five tough games. I had them going seven and five, maybe six and six, even because they may lose another game. You know, they may lose to Texas A&M. Listen, they're talented on defense. Listen, they got Derek Brown. They got two great safeties in Daniel Thomas and Jeremiah Denson. But once again, the quarterback position is an issue. When you have freshman quarterbacks, Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix, doesn't matter which one you really start. Like, if you had to ask me today, I'd go with Gatewood. But, you know, 
My another question is: Is the Gus bust out of gas? Listen, he's seven eleven versus top ten teams, and by the way, those teams I just read easily, easily could be in the top ten. Easily, I'm not telling you where they are on the list on my list, but he's seven eleven against them, and he's five and five in neutral site games. Oregon, they play Oregon and Dallas. My concern is Gus Melzahn. Can you, because you can ride that defense for so long until we've seen in the NFL where you can ride a defense and you can ride it to death. Because at some point your offense needs to improve because the game has changed. So to recap, 25 to 21, I have 25 Iowa State, 24 Virginia, 23 UCF, 22 Missouri, 21 Auburn. And a couple of teams that, you know, I left off were Boise State. I just think their defense and can they replace Brett Riffin at quarterback? University of Miami. Listen, I I'm very, I, I want to see that game. I'm going to watch it, obviously, when they play the Gators week one. Because that defense is great. Quarterback is an issue there. And for Mississippi State, South Carolina, it's just scheduling and it's the SEC. And Stanford, I like what David Shaw is doing, but, you know, that talent, and he developed it. And, you know, I want to thank Athlon Sports, NCAA.com, get the stats, all the great information to help you guys out. And on this show next week, at this same time, I'm going to give you my teams 20 through 16. And when we come back, I'm going to give you my thoughts on Tyree Kill and Zeke Elliott and my thoughts on that. And that's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World Football Edition. And if you could heard the theme earlier, you know, it's Law and Order. It's a great theme because it kind of ties in to what I'm about to talk about right now. One of the things that I feel is important is you have to be fair. And you have to be just. And I think when I look at the situation between Tyree Kill and Zeke Elliott. Now, if you take out the incident with Zeke Elliott where he could be disciplined, you know, after the security guard at the concert in, excuse me, the festival in Vegas for shoving a guard, you know, because Goodell initially declined it to suspend him, but now, so that could be different. But I'm talking about when he suspended for six games. And I want to compare... The Tyreek Hill and Zeke Elliott, that incident. And and I'll let you be the judge because I have my opinion, but you may have a completely different opinion. And you could drop it at my voice link, which I will share with you as well. If you go to the the episode right there, hit the link, give me your thoughts. Oh, not just this, but anything that I talk about here on the football podcast. So with Tyreek Hill. So the NFL announced last Friday that it couldn't conclude Hill violated the league's personal conduct policy. And that was per NFL.com. So here's the thing. Now they, they were supposed to enhance this policy to make it stronger. And they said he didn't violate anything. Okay. So the Chiefs, you know, saying chief things. They said, oh, you know, we welcome Tyreek back. 
to the team and look forward to the start of training camp next week. Yeah, I'd welcome a guy back who was a top three receiver in receptions last year. I, I'd welcome him back too. So, you're asking, well, why couldn't they conclude that he violated the league's personal conduct policy? That's a great question. So, let's go back to the beginning and to lead back to here. There was audio that surfaced on the first day of the NFL draft, which he discusses, you know, his injuries suffered by his son. And also, he also told his fiance, Crystal Espinal, that she should, quote, be terrified of him during an 11-minute discussion in a Dubai airport. So you're thinking, okay, nothing there, move on. But the Johnson County, or in Kansas, the DA's office announced the criminal investigation into Hill was inactive. So this is important. The next thing I'm about to say is why I feel the league dropped the ball. Now, the DA there in Johnson County noted that he believed that the three-year-old son and the fiance had been hurt, but he couldn't prove who did what. And my, my thing is, is that if you're the NFL, you essentially suspended Ezekiel Elliott two years ago after off-field incidents alleging domestic violence. And you, allegations. You couldn't prove it. The DA essentially told you that the only reason why he couldn't go after Hill because he couldn't prove who did what. He couldn't prove it. Who else could it have been? As I just read to you, the audio surfaced that he discussed injuries suffered by his son and he told his fiance that he should be terrified of him while in a Dubai airport. But that didn't conclude much. So you're thinking, oh, well, he has no history of this, no background. And I go, like Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Because here's the thing. Hill was accused of assaulting SPL before he was fiance, before they became his fiance, while at Oklahoma State. He later pleaded guilty to domestic assault and battery by strangulation. So, everybody has a pattern. This is his pattern. And what you're telling me and what you're telling everyone else is that you couldn't conclude he violated the personal conduct policy, but Ezekiel Elliott, off the field incidents alleging domestic violence, you took the word of someone over... Clearly, in the Tyreek Hill case, you had the DA said the only reason why he couldn't was because he didn't know who did what. And Tyreek Hill has a record of this. He was kicked out of Oklahoma State. Everybody has a pattern, but yet you say that you couldn't conclude anything. Well, we don't have anything. And once again, this falls on the doorstep of Roger Goodell. 
And I'm just going to read to you a couple of more incidents. Well, this ain't the first time Roger Goodell, in my opinion, dropped the ball. And I want to highlight four specific things, two related to each person, Hill and Zeke. So when we talk about Tyreek Hill, Ray Rice was suspended two games over domestic dispute. Remember when he dragged his fiance at the time out of an Atlantic City elevator, unconscious? Two games. So what did Goodell do? Oh, well, we got to go back and suspend him indefinitely. You can't do that. It's double jeopardy. So you're stuck with that. And then with Greg Hardy, he was initially suspended 10 games for a domestic violence conviction. He got it knocked down to four games. And the folks, the Ray Rice thing, and that was in July 2014. With Greg Hardy, it was April 2015. And that was that's per the New York Times. Okay, who did a great job reporting these in my estimation, these clear missteps of justice by Roger Goodell. So essentially here, what you're saying is when it comes to domestic violence is, is that you have the proof and in every single incident. You have proof. The DA, either the DA or there was video evidence and a legal record saying this person had a history of it and you just let it skate by. Because you were worried about, and quite frankly, and people get mad for what I'm about to say, you worried about, oh, well, how it affect them on the field. I don't care. Real people were hurt by these men, and we're just letting it go. The law got involved. Zeke Elliott is allegations, but you gave him six games because of allegations. A lot of people can lose their jobs over allegations that can't be proven. But allegations can be proven if we haven't learned anything from the Harvey Weinstein incident. But moving on, here are two incidents that talk about Zeke Elliott. Adrian Peterson, he had an indefinite suspension after his incident with child abuse with his son. He had it overturned by a circuit court. Because once again, if you want my opinion, it's really 50 50 on how you feel about discipline. You know, because quite frankly, some of us were spanked and we're, we're, but you know, I get the culture and times we live in and like, oh, well, you spank the kid to our least marks. Yeah, it is. It, you can identify it as abuse. But the thing is, it got overturned because they even knew it was stupid because lack of consistency, lack of consistency and discipline. But listen, I don't have to be able to discipline their kids. He didn't beat his kid to death. There were no injuries to that kid in the case of Tyreek Hill and his son. Okay. And and once again, ties into Josh Brown could also be tied into Zeke Elliott as well. See, Josh Brown, the kicker, former kicker of the New York football Giants, he was suspended one game. So in May of 2015, there were domestic violent charges and he was arrested for them. Those charges were later dropped. And the NFL said they had insufficient evidence to penalize him further. They told you, okay, we can't penalize him further. We're good. We got to move on. So how about a year later in October 2016, the league reopened the investigation after police filed 
you know, the police file and they disclosed the details of Brown's admission of abusing his wife. So out of the police disclosed that, listen, he did, you know, listen, he admitted to abusing his wife. And my thing is, is that these weren't allegations. These allegations later turned out to be true. And I have yet to, you know, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say Zeke Elliott doesn't have a problem with discipline. But listen, you just can't suspend people on allegations. People lose their, good people lose their jobs over allegations. That's men and women. And if you can't show me anything on Zeke Elliott off of what what a person said, then okay, then he's guilty. But the NFL, the DA essentially told you that the only reason why he couldn't charge because he couldn't prove anything that Listen, he knew and he felt that Tyree Till's son and his fiance were getting abused, but he couldn't prove who did what. Well, who else could it have been? And then, on top of that, he had a history of Oklahoma State. That's why he got kicked out of school. Everybody has a track record, people. You know that. I know that. People can change, yes. But with something like this behavior, it's the same thing that I said about Greg Hardy. Listen, what the message that you're sending to specifically your female football fans is that we don't give a you know what about you. Because you could just plop up any excuse and you're like, okay, that's fine. And that to me alienates them. And quite frankly, you have some men who who are not on board with this discipline because it's not fair across the board. It's not fair across the board. And, you know, in that Michael McCann piece by SI, we talked about Zeke Elliott. Listen, six games two years ago for alleged domestic violence. And, and what is it? Crude behavior. So you give me allegations. So you're telling me, NFL, that the DA essentially told you that he believed that Tyreek Hill's son, his fiance, had been hurt, but he couldn't prove who did what. He has a history of it at Oklahoma State. That's why he was kicked out of Oklahoma State. You have audio tape where he told his fiance, Crystal Espinal, that to be terrified of him. And he talked about the injuries to his son. But you're telling me that it doesn't violate the league's personal conduct policy? And was it Greg Hardy? That's supposed to be an enhanced policy. That was in 2015. That was four years ago. And this is why I stress this before I move on. This is that the league's history of discipline is bad. Now I'm going to bring up two other people, Michael Vick and Ben Roethlisberger, really quick. Vick essentially lost two seasons because of a dog fighting, and, and I get it. But Ben Roethlisberger, sexual assault accusation, six-game suspension, reduced to four. By the way, it was proven that he did do it. But, oh, he got oh he got four again. You gave Zeke six for allegations, but you reduced Ben Roethlisberger. And that was 2010. You did that for Big Ben. All I ask is for consistency, Roger. That's all I ask. 
And what I'm asking for you guys to do is to come on back where I give you my LFA report. That's next here on Sports in the World Football Edition. And welcome back into Sports and the World Football Edition. And thank you for staying with us. And the social media we're here for Sports in the World for both here, the football podcast, and for the regular one as well. It's at Sports the World on both Twitter and Instagram. Once again, you can leave a message that I might play here on the show, and I'll share the link on the page. And also, if you listen to us on Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, thank you so much. And what are you listening to us? And however you listen to us, thank you as well for staying along. And now I want to talk about the LFL. And it's winding down and we're getting to the nitty gritty. And I want to recap the game that was last week. That's the Denver Dream, the Omaha Heart. The Omaha Heart took care of the Denver Dream, 32-13. to 13. And I came up with five major takeaways. That, that Omaha offensive line just crushed the dreams of Denver. Matei Vinson, her legs never stopped moving, and she trucked them, and it was an absolute great performance to see them out there. You know, Lauren Crouch's her arm. If you didn't know it was legit, it was legit. That bomb in the end zone. She has, she could probably, I could argue, probably the best, one of the best arms in the LFL. And plus, she's shown great mobility there at the position as well, which is also key in the league. You know, as for Denver, just a lot of, you know, penalties and a lot of issues discipline-wise. And it was just a sloppy game by then. It really was. I'm not saying Omaha... Omaha played the cleanest game, but Denver's game, it was just awful. It was awful to watch because there's talent on that roster with Cristiano. You know, Jessica Poole, she's talented, but listen, right now, they're dreaming for a quarterback in Denver because Jessica Poole ain't it. Listen, she had a, she had a big arm. You know, she made a couple of plays, but she's not reading the defense as well. I think Bobby Hugo alluded to it on, alluded to it on, the, on, the, pod, on the broadcast. That listen, she missed a simple slant route and she just took off because she couldn't read the coverage. And I think that was important. And I said, man, they need a quarterback. And hopefully, Bria Katana, could she be the answer? Maybe not, but they, she's better than Jessica Poole. And I said that, I think, about a couple of weeks ago as well. And simply put, do they have the heart to win in Atlanta? When they play Atlanta August 3rd, that's going to be the biggest game in the history of that franchise. And I love the steam. My good friend, Lauren Ziegler, if you didn't watch her Million Dollar Mile, she did excellent. She rocked it. And I just look at it and go, listen, the steam is thrown over because the Chicago Bliss almost came in and beat them. There was one big play that saved Atlanta. And mind you, you know, Lauren Ziegler wasn't in that game, but. I'm to believe that she'll show up for the last game of the season where essentially it's a playoff spot, essentially. And it's super important for that. So those are the takeaways I got from that game. But another game has some playoff significance is when Molly Richardson and the Nashville Knights played the 
Chaz Dusan and the Chicago Blitz Saturday at 8 on the LFL YouTube channel. Check it out. I did my predictions. I had Nashville winning that football game. Check it out to see if I'm right or if I'm wrong. You'll let me know about it. But now I want to get into the playoff picture in, in my prediction. Because right now, I still believe that the Austin Acoustic is going to be the one seed. And that four seed, I think, could be the Atlanta Steam or the Omaha Heart. I don't know if the Temptation has a real shot because they have to win. They got to win in order to, you know, because of the point differential as the tiebreaker. Or score a lot of points in a loss. And for the second, you know, I think Seattle Miss is going to be ensconced in at the two. I, I really do. They're, you know, I don't think they're going to move from there. And I think they're going to play the temptation of the heart. I think the heart could easily, listen, the Omaha heart could easily be a three seed. If they win in Atlanta, they could easily be a three seed if the Austin Acoustic beat the LA Temptation, which is a game I will predict and talk about later on in this segment. And I think you got the. To me, it's going to be, like I said, I like Nashville, but I just don't see Nashville beating Austin. I, I don't. And I want to be wrong. And my mind could change when I, you know, prior to prediction time, but my mind just not really changing on that now. Unless I see something in that Nashville Knights game against the Bliss that convinces me otherwise. So, speaking of convincing otherwise, I want to talk about convincing the strengths. You know, of the six teams that are in the playoff hunt, you know, the Denver Dream, the Bliss, will be in this conversation, unfortunately. But here's a couple of strengths that I have, and next week I'll talk about some weaknesses. And, you know, the, the strength that I see for the Austin Acoustic is that offensive-defensive line. Look, you know, when you got the Dowdy sisters on the edge, that's... that's, that's I mean, that, that, I, you know, I'm lost for work because that's tough. You can't run on the edges against this team. And you can't run down the middle on this team. The run game. When you got Crystal Harris, you got you got the GOAT of running backs in the LFL. You got the GOAT. And she's still running and making big plays. And I like the coaching. I like Mike Oliveira. And that secondary, you know, you're thinking that oh, well, no Anna Garza, no problem. And you, I also throw in Michelle Angel. Michelle Angel Listen, uber athletic. And you have a lot of athletic quarterbacks in this league. And I think athleticism is the key to that position. It's it's key in every position. But the quarterback who can move and make plays is super important because when you got something like the Dowdy Sisters coming at you, you need some sort of movement there. And for the Seattle Mist, I like their veteran leadership. I like KK Matheny. I like Stevie Schnorr. I like Chris Michelson. You know, you know, him and the coaching. And I like the run game. When you got the bull, you got Dominique Malloy. That's a great duo to have. That's a, that's a great duo in the backfield to have. And, and I think that hopefully that Austin Cruz game was an aberration. Because if, because they have some things to fix. And once again, that's weaknesses, weaknesses we'll talk about next week. But for the LA Temptation, listen, Mariah Lopez and actually Salerno, that's a great listen. Actually, Salerno is not only a top five quarterback, but she's also a top five runner. She in Russian. 
she can run with the football. Folks, and Mariah Lopez could easily be the MVP. Her, Jade Randall, Lindsey Burson. I'll get into my conversation about that probably next week as well, about my potential MVP candidate. And that defense, you got Mo Gaxiola, TJ Anderson, fully healthy. You know, you got talent there. And and I think the coaching, listen, I think the coaching, I want to see more progressiveness coaching-wise. Because at some point, if you're going to keep running the ball with Mariah Lopez, they're going to be stacking, not say stack the box, but they're going to start moving in the safeties more and then the corners and more. For the Atlanta team, it's the offense. Dakota Hughes, Lauren Ziggler, you can throw in Josie Fezakai in there as well. You can throw in Nicole Hulse to a potential rookie of the year candidate. Listen, the, that offense is just so good. And that's why they remind me of my Falcons. Boy, they're great on offense, but the defense, I just need, you know, once again, I'm not going to leak, well, I just kind of leaked out a weakness, I think. But I really like their offense. You know, and I like Dane Robinson. I really like his I like his presence. This guy is the steam. And he brings in that structure. And I, I root for this guy because this team is super good. And this may be the last shot that these triplets of Dakota Hughes, Lauren Ziegler, and Dina Wojowski are going to be together. And I want to see them, you know, at least compete for a championship. And I think Dane Robinson can get the most out of these guys. Or these gals. You know, the Omaha Heart, you know, Lindsey Burst. Nobody's talking about Lindsey Burst. She's the, she's the sack leader. And nobody's talking about her. You know, we talk about, we know how great Lauren Crouch is. We know how good Anna Garza is. Listen, we know how good Jacqueline Good is. But we're not talking about Lindsey Burst enough. She's the sack leader. She's the sack leader. And I really like her. Listen, the Omaha Heart showed me in that game that, listen, they can get to the quarterback. And they can make big plays. And Lindsey Burst has been the playmaker on defense for them. Especially on that line. And once again, I mentioned Lauren Crouch. That's a star. You know, things to clean up arm-wise, but things you can teach. Teachable things to fix. But you can't teach a good arm, and that's what she has. And for the Nashville Knights, boy, I just... They're just talented offensively. They got Molly Richardson. They got Mosley. Netta Carter, you know, I really like the trajectory of this team. And I think that with another young coach, get another year, you still got Danica Brace on the defensive side, you know, coordinating this defense. They're going to get better. And I like Nashville. And I think Nashville is kind of the victim of playing teams that are uber talented and more experienced. But give a couple, you know, I think it's, it's good. And it's good for the product, and it's good for the league. And in week 13, as I alluded to, the Los Angeles Temptation, Mariah Lopez, the Snake, Ashley Salerno, they're going to, they're heading down to some city limits in Austin to play Michelle Angel, Chris Dow Harris, and the Austin Acoustic. Couple of keys, Mariah Lopez versus the Austin Acoustic defensive line. Lopez, I believe she leads the league in rushing. And the Acoustic is first against the run. I want to see Michelle Angel versus Akris Lanero. That's a great quarterback matchup. Because I want to see which one. Because both can make the big plays and they can both make the big mistake. So which one avoids the big mistake? And defensively, 
The Temptation is fourth against the rush. Acoustic is the first in yards per game. The Temptation are second in total offense, but the Acoustic only allow 42 points. And you're thinking that's that's a lot, but listen. I'll, you know, get a couple of games, and I think they have, a, they have a very, very good defense. And, you know, I root for the Temptation. It's a must-win, but I just... I just think this acoustic team, when they went into Seattle, it, it, it cemented them as the best team in the LFL. And I think the temptation make it close, but I think Austin pulls away with Crystal Harris in the end, 47-27. And that's the LFL report. And like I said, hit me up on, I'll share the message link, hit me up on social media, let me know what you think. But what I think is, is that I'm going to tell you to wrap up this episode football episode of sports in the world with my NFL teams ranked 32 to 29. That's next here on sports in the world football edition. And welcome back into the final segment here of sports and the world football edition. And if you stuck with the show so far, I truly do appreciate it. And one last time, the social media is at Sports the World for both Twitter and Instagram. Facebook page, potentially in the future. And so now the main event, which will be the main event of every football podcast episode till the beginning of the season, will be me ranking my top NFL teams from worst to first. And I'm going to give you the team. I'm going to give you five words I think about them, some strengths and weaknesses. So with that being said, let's dive in with number 32, the Miami Dolphins. And listen, hey, Miami fans, I'm going to tell you, hey, there's eight games in South Florida. It's not that bad. It may be hot, but it's not that bad. You know, that's why they sell umbrellas and then pina coladas and all that to cool you down. But here's some strengths I feel with the Miami Dolphins is that, listen, I like the coaching staff that Coach Flores is building. Listen, he's got Jim Caldwell, Patrick Graham. You know, Jim Caldwell, he's worked with Peyton Man. He's worked with great young quarterbacks before. You know, he's worked with, you know, Matt Stafford. If that, you know, he's worked with great talent. And Patrick Graham, he's worked on the, the Giants staff and the Packers staff. Great linebackers, great D-line. So there's experience there. And, you know, Xavier Howard, he was second, well, tied for first, depending on the tiebreakers are, and interceptions with seven. Listen, he's probably the best player this team has. Is he the best core in the league? That's for a future debate topic. You know, and Matt Hack. That's good. Well, who is Matt Hack? Who the heck is Matt Hack? Well, he's the punter. He was second in punts with 87, and he's going to be probably in the top five again because this offense is that bad. I truly do. It's that bad. So weaknesses? Listen, the defense... Look, they were 29th in pass yards. They they gave up 391 yards a game passing. 29th in sacks. They couldn't sack anybody. 31 sacks. You do the math. That's a little. That's almost two sacks a game. Almost. And offensively, boy, they can't. 20th in receiving yards. 26th in scoring. They couldn't put up 20 points in a game. And and lastly, listen. <laughs> The weakness, there's no Zach Thomas or Jason Taylor. because They could sure use them because, listen, you know, no Cameron Wake, that's not a big loss. But I just think the defense 
played bad. And, and I can test that to the previous regime. And we'll get to that guy when that team shows up. But boy, they need Zach Thomas and they need Jason Taylor. Because this defense is going to be... It's not going to be... It's going to be... Listen, like I say, and also, hey, hey, you got Jimmy Butler. So it's not all that bad, Miami. Number 31, the New York football Giants. And <laughs> my five words to them is more like the little Giants. Listen, I wanted to play as the worst team. I really did. But once again, I'd be objective and fair. Because what saved them from being the worst team that they have Saquon Barkley. He was second in rushing behind Zeke. He was fourth among among running backs in receiving yards. And listen, Eli Manning is a strength. Listen, he was ninth in passing. Listen, this is what I say. Listen, we knock Eli, and oh, he's getting... Yeah, I acknowledge all of that. He was ninth in passing last year. He was better. Listen, you know that basically? He was better. He was in the top 10. He was better than 23 other quarterbacks. And this team was bad. Take it as you will on that. And lastly, the guard Kevin Zeitner. The old line needed help. And listen, you like, you know, listen, you got to protect the quarterback inside and out. You got to protect him. So here come the weaknesses. OBJ production. Look, I understand and people are going to say, well, OBJ, you know, his mouth. Listen, he has ego. He has personality. But listen, he had 77 receptions, 1,052 yards receiving, and had six touchdowns. And who did they get to replace him? Essentially, Golden Tate, who last year had three less receptions, 795 yards, and he had four touchdowns. And then you have Sterling Shepard, who had 66 receptions, 872 yards, and four touchdowns last year as well. Essentially, I'm looking at two number two receivers. And I understand this draft wasn't chock full of number one receivers, but that's the best you can do to replace. That's the best you could do. Okay, Giant fans. Okay. And, and I'll just say this. Look. OBJ, and people are going to say he's a top five receiver in this league. You got to put the ego aside. We are, receiver position is usually a diva position. But he backs it up. And that's what I say. A lot of people run the mouths on back it up. He does. And another weakness is, listen, the NFL draft was a weakness for the Giants. You know, yeah, Dexter Lawrence, he's a good player, good DN for Clemson. That's a project. That's a rebuild, dude. But Daniel Jones, and look, you left Dwayne Haskins on the board. And this is what I said, and I said it then, and I'll say it now. Daniel Jones in the ACC could not throw 60%. Above 60%. I'm not saying ACC defenses are SEC defenses, but I'm also not saying that ACC defenses are are great either. And you you couldn't get 60%. Uh, what about receivers and talent? Folks, 
The only quarterback that I come to my memory that had success without throwing 60% is my guy, Matty Ice, when he came out of Boston College. He was like at 59. He was close enough, like, okay. And he's, listen, now he's throwing 60%. Okay, Daniel Jones throws 60%. He had three years. He's a three-year starter at Duke. He had David Cutcliffe. And you're telling him he couldn't throw 60%. But that's who they wanted. That's who they wanted, and I get it. And Dave Gettleman, that's also a weakness. Listen, I love Dave Gettleman, but look, you don't leave it on the board. This could end up being the draconian, not say not like draconian-esque, like, you know, taking Leaf over Manning, who I root for Ryan Leaf. He got a second chance, got a gig. Congrats to him. But you, listen, you couldn't get Kyler Murray. Dwayne Hansen to me was the second best quarterback. You could have got Daniel Jones. I think they had the 17th pick. You could have got him there. It's not like teams were trying to trade up to get Daniel Jones. I didn't, unless, anyway. And another weakness is Pat Shermer. Listen, folks, Pat Shermer, he's 15 and 34, 30, 30%, 31% of his games he wins. Folks, coaching matters. And this dude, you couldn't hire. My problem is, ever since Tom Coughlin left, they got it. They can't coach. You know, there's no. Listen, Ben McAdoo, that worked out great. And now Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer could be out this year. But that's a, once again, future list down the road. But, and then defensively, you lost Landon Collins. And then you trade away Olivier Murder. And then you get you trade Webb. You get Webb is gone. There's no defense. There's no defense here. And the only reason why they're not the worst team is because Saquon Barkley is right now the New York Giants. He's listen. And at some point, I don't want Saquon to end up like Barry Sanders to be disenfranchised. Because this franchise needs to get talent. It's New York. You can get talent in that, on that team. There's no excuses. Excuses are the tools for incompetence that lead to monuments to nothing. I don't want to hear excuses from Dave Gellerman on why we didn't draft Dwayne Haskins. You got to make Daniel Jones work or you're out of town. Or your franchise is set back maybe five to ten years. My number 30 team is the Arizona Cardinals. And my five words for them are, listen, these birds are really cooked. It's hot. They're gonna, listen, it's going to be very bad. And I'll explain why the weaknesses. But here's some strengths. They got Larry Fitzgerald. He's the face of the franchise. You know, he had 735 yards, six touchdowns last season. But listen, he's the face. It's what Cardinal fans look for. He's the face. Stability. He's stability. Kyler Murray and Cliff. They could be the next Big Vay and Jared Goff. Because remember, why did Jared Goff play so bad? Jeff Fisher, defensive guy. I could argue that, listen, you, you fired Steve Wilkes, he was a defensive guy. And even if you would have had kept him and drafted Kyler Murray, it still wouldn't have worked. Need an offensive guy. That's the trend of the league. There are a couple of, you know, you know, examples that, you know, sway the other way. But this could end up being McVay and Goff. 
Because if Cliff Kingsbury can be what he is and deliver, and Kyler Murray can deliver what he is, there could be potential in Arizona. And also, that defense, they went and got Jordan Hicks, they got Robert Alford and Brooks Reed, they got a linebacker, a corner, and a defensive end, respectively. And then you get Vance Joseph, who I thought was a, was a very good defensive coordinator when he was in Miami. You know, unfortunately, things didn't work out in Denver. He got the gig defensive coordinator here in Arizona, and I expect good things for him to get work with. And the weaknesses are simple. They play in the NFC West. You got to play Seattle twice a year. You got to play the Rams twice a year. And the Niners twice a year, who could be better? Listen, it's just going to be an uphill battle for them. And to me, no solid two receiver. It's Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. Is, that, is he the number two guy? So they draft a couple of receivers in this draft. You get a number two guy. Ever since John Brown left, there's not been a number two guy. No relation. And lastly, you know, Patrick Peterson is out until week seven because of suspension. So now that puts him in the hole, essentially, for a month and a half without having their best, arguably their best defensive player. So we'll see how that works out. And lastly, number 29, the Cincinnati Bengals. And my five words for them is, can they use Bengal Tigers? Like, can they use the real thing? Can they use Bengal Tigers? Can they? Because listen, I'll explain why in a minute. Listen, here's what I like. There's no Marvin Lewis. You got 16 years of futility from that dude. Listen, that's a rant. That, listen, I'll just say it like this. Good riddance. Good riddance, because where was the growth going to happen? Where was it going to happen? Zach Taylor's going to come in, and I think he's going to do something. This is a complete and total rebuild. It's a complete rebuild. And I said, you got to get this dude three years, maybe five, because you got to fix it. Marvin Lewis, 16 years, you got to fix it. You got to get to do at least a fourth of that to fix it, at least. And I like their offensive tri- triumvirate of Dalton at quarterback, A.J. Green at receiver, and Joe Mixon in the backfield. Listen, they, listen, Zach Taylor, he was over, he was the Rams offensive coordinator. He had Jared Goff. He had Todd Gurley. He had Robert Woods. There, there was talent over there. And like, mind you, Sean McVay will get a proponent of the credit, but Zach Taylor should get some credit there as well. I think the potential is good. Listen, Andy Dalton, listen, he's an average quarterback at best. At best, he's and I hate to say this about my guy Matty Ice, but listen, he's Andy Dalton is 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 Matt Ryan without the Super Bowl appearance. That's what he is. He's average, but there's talent there, and I think both dudes are super talented. But Andy Dalton health and all that's an issue. And they had a good draft. They got Jonah Wins from Alabama, the guard. They got Drew Sample, the tight end from Washington. They got Michael Jordan from Ohio State. Listen, they got two guards that build that offensive line. And to get Drew Sample tight end, they're building that offense, once again, inside to out. Listen, they could have easily been tempted and been like, you know what, we could maybe try to get Dwayne Haskins or Daniel trade up. But they did. They stayed pat. And they got Joseph. Yeah, they got two guards and a, and a tight end because we don't know Zach I for his help. It doesn't hurt to have two of everything. You know, Noah had two, you know, listen. The two, the two approach works. They have two of everything, and it works. And some weaknesses, 
listen, that linebacking core got weak without Vontez Burford going to Oakland. Listen, they're not going to miss his penalty. They're not going to miss his, his erratic behavior, but they're going to miss in that linebacker. And listen, this is still a young head coach. And could he, once again, you think a lot of McVay talk because McVay really changed the scope of how coaches are hired. And lastly, I think they're the fourth best team. And and I think it's by default because they're the only team really that does not have stability at all, you know, not at all positions, but they don't have stability organizationally. As bad as the Steelers are, it, I wouldn't want to be the Bengals for the, you know, the last 16 years in futility. And that's a complete rebuild, and I hope they fix it. And what I hope is that you'll come back next time here on Sports and the World Football Edition next week. But once again, you have my top car football team, 20 to 16, an LFL report, top NFL teams, and we're going to go from 28 to 25. And a topic that I know you're going to like, and that's next week on Sports of the World Football Edition. Be real, be you. And be blessed.